I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast. It is December, and I am once again here to ask you to support the Cato Daily Podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute by becoming a podcast sponsor. If you support Cato to the tune of $1,000 or more, I'll gladly give you a shout-out on the podcast. The way to do it is to visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and make your donation. If you prefer, you may designate someone to receive the benefits associated with a donation of any amount. It's up to you. Cato accepts no government money, and we depend on the generosity of our sponsors to help us advance the values of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support the Cato Daily Podcast and the Cato Institute. Thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, December 15th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. For those who care about liberty, advancing your career and advancing your values simultaneously can pose a challenge. For those who are young or those considering a change of career, film producer John Popola of the Emergent Order Company has some advice. We spoke at the State Policy Network annual meeting in October. There is an assumption among uh, conservatives and probably to a lesser extent uh, libertarians that uh, the media, Hollywood, the entertainment industry broadly, quote unquote, is against freedom and that they are actively working to make bad ideas sound really good and that uh, there is no opportunity or at least the deck is stacked against people who care about freedom in popular culture. There's a there's truth in that, and there's also a big fallacy in that. The, the truth in it is that to the extent freedom, as you're describing it, and as I would probably describe it, often lives somewhat on the political right, if you're going to call libertarians on the right. Um, but if you want to say they're on the right, or if you want to say center right or whatever, um, then yeah, by, by virtue of political tribes, entertainment and the media um, broadly are on the left. The, cult, the the communities are on the left. I mean, when I was working at Viacom, you know, my first job was at MTV and I started working in 1999. So it was the election year of George W. Bush versus Gore. And I'll never forget, it's, uh, uh, you know, and I grew up, as a conservative, I'm Italian Catholic. My dad's a Republican and co pretty conservative, and 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 you know my libertarian awakening didn't happen until later. But I, um, you know, was coming up on election day, and and I said to my boss's boss, it's like, oh, I'm gonna, I need to take off to go back to Pennsylvania to to vote because I was still registered in Pennsylvania. And he said, oh, that's great, Pennsylvania's a swing state. He said, well, but it depends on who you're who you're gonna vote for. And then he laughed like like, oh, I'm just kidding. He wasn't really underneath kidding and i said well what do you think i'd do that if i was going to vote for the other guy <laughs> which was a really that's uh, a very slick way of doing it oh uh, yeah the other guy of course um I, I um so at one level i think it's true i think that there's a there's group think and there's um most of my, my friends in entertainment are, are democrats um on the other hand i think the bigger challenge is that almost everybody is just ignorant they just don't think about issues. People are not engaged in politics really or in policy or economics. And so um, there's this huge opportunity if you actually engage 
somebody in a thoughtful way or just or just as a human to move them a lot towards an issue. And the best example I have of that is, uh, you know, so my company, Emergent Order, exists first and foremost to tell stories about classical liberal ideas. And we started with the Keynes versus Hayek rap videos as a passion project, and it sort of spawned the company out of that, out of all the interest from organizations like Cato. There's like, oh my God, if I could make videos for Cato, it'd be amazing. Um, and we got to with the, with the Freedom on Trial project that came out last year. And yet most of my employees, I would say, would self-identify as left of center. And so the and and most of the people that come through that work with us that are freelancers or, you know, with, across a lot of different parts of the process, including writing, which you would think would be especially difficult, are left of center. So then how how can that be possible if the whole media landscape is just sort of a, a cabal of closet totalitarians? And the answer is that community comes first. And we are nice to people. <laughs> and uh, and you know, we're loving. We say, we say our, our internal motto is we're geeks with heart. And so we treat everybody we work with with uh, dignity and respect. And that means that, and that's so much more valuable, frankly, in the entertainment industry because it's a cutthroat industry. So to treat people with love and respect, to pay them on time, to not screw them over, it's like, oh, what are you doing? Something for the Koch brothers? Well, I'm not sure about that, but you guys are great. So I'll do whatever. Great. And it, <laughs> it's, and it serves this really um, powerful, uh, entry point. And I think that's just something that gets lost. And frankly, it's something I'm very worried about with the the digital tribes. Because when you don't have that human conversation, when you don't get to look people in the eye, you just get to other them and they just become a goblin, a monster. And when you live in clusters and tribal clusters, like if you're in Los Angeles or, or Manhattan, um, you know, how the hell are you going to meet anybody that thinks different than you that you don't think is Satan? And the same would be true if you're in, uh, you know, a really conservative. Uh, I won't say city. Are there any cities that are conservative? But a really conservative area, and uh, I think that's the thing we've got to overcome is actually just getting out there and meeting people, flesh and blood. So, uh, people, flesh and blood. Uh, you and I were talking earlier today about uh, what we really need is a movie that moves people, but it's. It's made up entirely of charts, right? And uh, for libertarians, uh, you know, the view is, uh, as I tell people as often as possible, is like everybody who is going to be influenced by a chart, we got them. They're broadly on our side. It's like, oh, this chart. All 10% of the population. This, this chart speaks very clearly. The data seems uh, sound. And uh, yes, I agree with you on this policy issue now. So, that, but there's a whole other group of people that have yet to be convinced uh, of sort of this beautiful vision that uh, you and I share that uh, free people do better work, free people are happier, and free people can uh, live their lives in accordance with their values, and that's great. And, and, so, and so sort of bridging that gap between uh, the vision that uh, libertarians broadly share and uh, convincing people that uh, order from order imposed from above is not the best option and do so creatively in a way that inspires people. It's just a persistent challenge. Uh, it's, it's the permanent challenge I think we face because um, libertarians 
are by definition systems thinkers because the the sort of system of natural liberty uh classical liberalism whatever monikers you want to put on it um they, they there's a coherence that cuts across and for people who value that coherence that cuts across different issues they they can tap into one thing and then it all it's like all oh, the, the the scales fell from my eyes when i realized taxation was actually theft uh, and that's it. That's all. T- I met somebody who said exactly that. Like somebody said, you know, taxation is theft. It's like, I never thought about it that way. And from that point on, I was a libertarian. That's all it took. <laughs> but for most human beings, we are um, situational creatures and we're story and narrative creatures, which is always fundamentally situational. So what do I mean by that? Um, uh, what I mean is we take life as it comes issue by issue. Um we say, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I judge things on a case by case basis because the life is complicated, people are complicated, and every situation is going to have its own unique challenges, and that's by and large true. It's not, I don't think it's necessarily great philosophically, but it is the way we go about and live our daily lives, and most of the time we're spent. We spend just living our life. We have circles of concern, as Adam Smith would say. Right. I'm more concerned about um, the paper cut on my pinky f- finger than thousands of people dying in a tragedy around the world. That's horrible, but it also happens to be an, a fact. And so um, we have these underlying natures. And one of the most fundamental natures that that we have is that we are narrative we are narrative uh, thinkers and processors. We process information. In terms of just cognitively through narrative, you know, babies are born and they're hardwired to seek out those eyes and make a face out of anything. And right? it's like, where are the eyes? We're pattern seekers. We see faces and everything. And so, um, if you want to understand something, and I, I think this is true even of the most sort of on the Asperger's spectrum, status statistics are my life libertarian. Um, you still are going to get touched by a story. And what is a story? A story is literally the opposite of statistics. Statistics are on the opposite side of the spectrum with story. A story fundamentally is about a person. And it's about a person making choices and and, and going up against obstacles. And, and then their character, which is what you care about, which is why you're watching the story, is revealed by the choices they make under pressure. This is like Robert McKee textbook 101 storytelling. And the pushback to that is, well, that's just an anecdote. Where's the data? And it's artisanal data. <laughs> yes, it's it's bespoke, as the as uh, you know, my fellow Austinites and uh, would like to say, is <laughs> a bespoke uh, data. It's like, oh, you know, oh, that's one data point. And that's not false, that's true, but you but it's also true that that's the way we process the world. So if you want an idea to stick, you have to tell it in story form. Now, for me personally, I think there's certain types of storytelling that are more sticky and more fun, and that also give you more license to deliver the data. And and I think humor is a huge part of that. I think, you know, as libertarians, especially as classical liberals, we are fundamentally like the, we're, we're the two old men in the Muppets that are always criticizing the show. That's who we are. That's the role we play. And so, you know, those guys are great because they're always cracking jokes. And I think we have to crack more jokes. So we've produced a lot of content that's trying our best to be funny. 
which is not easy, but I think we do a pretty good job. So how do you measure the impact of the work that you do? The most impactful product um, we've I've, we've ever made and that I was ever had the privilege of being involved in is still the Keynes versus Hayek rap videos because I, I meet people all across the spectrum and time and space and gender and race and age who have seen them because somebody showed them in a classroom, most likely, or a friend shared them. And they've I've had maybe 20 people over the past few years say, I changed my major or I became a libertarian because they saw the Keynes versus High Grab videos. It like put it was the thing that put them on on a course. And I they get still thousands of views a day. And they're now, you know, quickly approaching, they're on their way to being 10 years old, you know, in the next couple of years. And so that's got, I assume that's because they're being used in schools. And that's amazing. And um, and I'm kind of always hoping to achieve that with each and every project that we try, we try to do. So for uh, young people who fancy themselves creative and uh, care about liberty, what are the things that they ought to be studying, uh, learning about? I mean- there is this constant complaint I see on the internet of, of artists being concerned about being paid for their work, right? That is, it's, it's easier now than ever to just steal a graphic and put it up. But, you know, some, some real craft might have really gone into that. And the person who created it wants to uh, not receive credit, but, you know, sort of, you know, receive remuneration for, for having, having done so. Uh, and I think a lot of libertarians uh, naturally are thinking, well, this isn't a real product. But if you care about liberty and you know that uh, creative output can inspire people to change their hearts, change their minds about things, what would you t- what do you tell what would you tell young people who who have those values and and have that artistic impulse and they want to make an impact the way? you do and you you hope to continue to do what do you tell them well i mean the first thing i say is it's uh there are more opportunities to actually get paid to be creative than ever before for for sure there's there's um there's a lot more seats at the table um because the i actually think there's this it's a kind of macroeconomic phenomenon that we're getting richer we spend less money on food and a lot of other basics not not the areas the government controls like healthcare and Education that keeps inflating, but and we have a golden age of television. <laughs> yeah, with our copious free time, yes. to, to sit and enjoy. So there is there's this massive and growing entertainment and um, advertising and creative and experiential industry, and every company wants to tell stories. And so I, my first thought is, it's really worthwhile to try to see if you can work at a high level. If that if you are a creative person. I wouldn't be good at what I do if I hadn't spent almost 15 years at Viacom, at MTV and Nickelodeon and Spike TV. Um, the, 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 the standard that I had to operate within, and, and I started, like everybody does, sort of not being all that good. <laughs> and, and, and quite often, uh, I think it was Ira Glass who points out that, that look, if you want to do something for a living, you need to accept the fact now that for a very long time, the work you're doing is just not going to be that good. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that the creative process lets you repeat that every single time because 
uh, I've made several feature length films now. And at, at, at you, there are multiple points where you could have taken a snapshot and said, that sucks. I, I am embarrassed to show this right now. And you have to, and it's a muscle you have to actually develop to push through that moment of it being terrible. And I, so I would strongly advise people that are interested in creativity to pursue it and to find an op, f- find an entry point that's going to challenge them and where they're, where they're going to get to work with people that are way better than they are. And in some sense, I'm I'm actually saying, you know, keep developing your your philosophy as a libertarian, but. If you want to really be a creative person, that might not be the right place to start. It's not, yeah, not necessarily a good entry point. People who uh, you, you want to work with people who know what they're doing in the field, uh, who have not written tomes about economics and such, right? Those those people aren't necessarily the people to start with. Yeah, I mean, when I uh, I cold called Russ Roberts, um, and, and I left this winding message about how I uh, was really interested in Hayek, and I listened to his podcast, Econ Talk, and. And, and I'm a creative director at Spike TV, but I'm really interested in monetary policy and Austrian business cycle theory, and please call me back. He wouldn't have called me back if he didn't couldn't go and verify I wasn't a nutcase and I had a website with my work and it was legitimate. Um, you know, build a platform for yourself creatively. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go work at a TV network. I mean, you can, there's so many media outlets where you can work with world-class people that are gonna help you up your game. The other aspect of it is building a community. Uh, of creative people that you can rely on. We still work with all of my friends at Viacom. We uh, we just produced a series for the Paramount Network about the events of uh, at Waco, Texas. And how did that happen? It's because well, I shared a closet office with Terry Minogue, who's now the senior VP of creative for the network. And he and I know each other and we're friends. And the fact that I, I got, you know, sort of politically vocal didn't change any of that. And and the, and again, those relationships come first, and so build a network of relationships, make friends, and and you can you know the best place to do that is work. So find a place where you're gonna where you, where you love what they're doing, and go work there. And hey, if it's a, if it's the Cato Institute, fa- fantastic because it's a wonderful organization. But if you want to be a world class like storyteller and make movies and TV shows and films, you should probably just do your best to try to get that kind of job. John Popola is CEO of Emergent Order, a creative agency based in Austin, Texas. We spoke at the State Policy Network annual meeting in October. It is almost 2019, and I'd like to ask you to consider supporting the Cato Podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute by joining our podcast sponsor program. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to learn more of the benefits of sponsorship. That's cato.org slash podcast sponsor.